My predictions were wrong, wrong, wrong. The news isn't waiting for Comic-Con. We talk about Doctor Who's next composer. Still another 13th Doctor comic book announcement. And assiduously avoid certain spoilers. Which you won't find on this podcast. Recorded in a strange loft in our nation's capital. This is This Week in Time Travel. And yes, this is a strange loft. You know what? It works. It's a nice, quiet, and most importantly, air-conditioned space in my apartment building. Therefore, perfect spot for recording podcasts. Recorded live, as you probably gathered from this. Hi, I'm Chip. I'm Melissa. And we are coming to you from our nation's capital. Where Chip has come up to spend the weekend with me, uh, making a little bit of a statement in Lafayette Square. Yeah, uh, we were out there baking with our good friend Lin-Manuel Miranda and Alicia Keys, you know, just hobnobbing with the elite. Oh, yes, absolutely. America Ferreira and Diane Guerrero definitely knew that we were out there, one of the 30,000 people in the audience. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's what we were up to. Uh, And while we don't exactly put our politics on the down low on this week in town travel, this weekend was the Families Belong Together rally across the street from uh, the White House. And This was one of those things that having listened to audio of children crying after being separated from their parents at the border, I finally had a up with this I will not put moment and uh, came up to D.C. There were rallies all over the uh, U.S., but this was the big one and it it felt important for me to be here. It was a really big, powerful rally, especially impressive because, as I understand it, they initially planned for 5,000. The day before, they expected 15,000. And then the day of, over 30,000 people turned out in 94 degrees heat plus humidity. The real field temperature was 104 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, it was it was a bit of an experience being there. Um, one of the things that you have to consider with a rally of this size uh, in this heat was there was a lot of people who were passing out from heat exhaustion in the rally. You know, it was one of those everyone had to work together to keep each other cool, to keep each other hydrated. Um, There were people passing out water bottles and ice packs and people coordinating to make sure that those at the front who were in the sun could get out um, and also coordinating to let medics get in and out. So it was a real moment of coming together to try to make sure that this could happen and that we could all make a very important statement under um, some pretty trying circumstances for a lot of people. Chip and I, I think, went through something like four bottles of water and a tub of sunscreen, and we showed up and we stayed through the rally, and then uh, we marched down the streets of Washington, D.C. to the Department of Justice. This is, I think, one of the most critical issues of our time. The news just came out this weekend that there might be additional children who were separated from their families under a pilot program. They suspect that as many as 2,000 children have been separated from their families with no plan for how that is going to be addressed and corrected. Uh, One of the women who spoke at the rally was one of the asylum seekers who came across the border. She was separated from her child for nine months. And during that time, the government told her that her child could be adopted out. She committed no crime. Asylum is a legal right that 
people have a right to request. Families should not be detained indefinitely at the border, and children should especially not be separated from their parents. I recognize this is a little off topic for a Doctor Who podcast, but I think it's one of the humanitarian issues of our time. So I hope those of you who are listening to us from the United States turned out to protest this weekend, or if you were unable to because of the heat wave, that you showed your support in other ways. Yeah. And bringing it back to Doctor Who for just a minute, you know, um, like I said at the top, and listeners, your politics may or almost certainly do differ from mine in key ways, you know, and that's fine. But um, I keep I keep coming back to that line that Rose delivers in The Parting of the Ways uh, when uh, they are having they are in the diner. They are dealing with the fact that the TARDIS has deposited Rose in the past and uh, she's got no way of getting back to the doctor and and all that. And as Mickey and Jackie are advocating just normalcy, Rose responds, you know, the doctor showed me a better way of living your life. You know he showed you to that you don't, don't just give up. You don't just let things happen. You make a stand. You say no. And I think that's one of the key messages that I take from Doctor Who, especially the early RTD stuff. The, the message of the show that people have a responsibility to change things that they perceive to be unjust. And and Rose was speaking in the back of my head as I saw the announcements of the rallies. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I need to be like Rose this weekend. Yeah, it's one of those things of I've turned to popular culture and especially Doctor Who over uh, the past you know year and a half trying to find some hope and some optimism in you know really trying circumstances because you know we are still at the end of the day human and this is a lot for any one person to process and to cope with and you know it can be depressing to see all of this happen and it, you can feel powerless so often you know an individual up against massive institutions, you know, there's not a lot of power that one person alone has to change things. And it has been difficult for me to continue to find that optimism, to continue to find that drive to go out and do things every day that can help make the world a better, pra- a, a better place. And, you know, we need inspiration wherever you find it, whether it's family or friends or a favorite book, a favorite movie, a favorite TV show. You know, I, I come back to the second doctor, actually, of there are terrible things in this universe and they must be fought. Uh, you know, maybe you're not going to fix everything. Uh, maybe you can only inspire other people to take action. Maybe you just need to go out and say, this is wrong, and I won't let you use my silence to assume complicity. So uh, I uh, hope that you all are finding uh, places for hope, optimism, or even just a moment of happiness in uh, some of the dark things that are going on right now. Yeah. So we've got a question for you. Um, What stories or quotes from Doctor Who ever inspired you to take some kind of like direct action? It could be personal, could be political, whatever. If you tweet us at DR Who this week or reply to our podcast link on Facebook, we'll share some of the best responses in a couple of weeks. 
And now we're going to move on to the news section because surprisingly, there was news this week. Yeah. Was I the one who was saying last week that they're probably going to go dark until Comic-Con? In fairness, they probably intended for half the things that came out this week to remain dark until Comic-Con. This is true. And we'll get back to we'll get to that part at the end of the news rundown. Uh, But yeah, we've got a new composer. Yes, it was announced this week that Sagan Akinola is going to be the new composer for Doctor Who. He's a rapidly rising star. Uh, he was awarded a BAFTA's Breakthrough Brit. Uh, he scored Black and British, A Forgotten History, the film A Moving Image, uh, and also did The Human Body, Secrets of Your Life Revealed, and Expedition Volcano. He's good. He is really good, and thank God he's got a SoundCloud. Uh, so we had a chance to take a uh, listen to several of the tracks that he's done over the years. But in the press release announcing him, they talk about him. Him, he's going to be providing a new and distinctive take on the Doctor Who theme, and I just, I was not super thrilled that Murray Gold was leaving. Even though it made a lot of sense that with everything else that Chibnall is doing, you know, starting fresh at so many levels, I thought that Murray Gold could adjust to fit and do, you know, I, he, his, his 11th Doctor theme was very different from his 10th Doctor theme and things like that. So I thought that Murray Gold could have provided anything that Chris Chibnall wanted. And then we listened to Sagan Akinola. And... Let's be clear, this isn't, you know, to knock Murray Gold. He's fantastic and amazing and has proven to be very versatile. But uh, Sagan Akinola has a very interesting, unique, and incredibly varied range of music that he has provided for a bunch of different movies and TV shows uh, and miniseries. Like, each one that I listened to, it was hard to really come up with, like, any sort of defining way that he does music because he has done so much different music for so many different things. Like he's jumping around and doing a million different things brilliantly. Um, So I'm very, very excited to see what he does moving forward. You know, I'm always of the opinion of I love Murray Gold's music. It will always be some of my favorite music from Doctor Who. But it is okay to to bring somebody new in and give them the opportunity to show their chops and show something new and unique and original for Doctor Who. Um, and I think it's especially important. Sagan Akinola is a black British man, and it is important to make sure that we continue to provide opportunities for everybody to come in and score this show. And I think it's a very especially important to bring in uh, people of color into such prominent roles in the show, um, because, you know, he's just going to be inspiring uh, and pushing the whole show forward mm-hmm. uh, and going to be very important for fans of the show to see him in that position as well. Yeah. To say nothing about future generations of composers mm-hmm. who, who who see him doing his thing and succeeding and uh, following his footsteps. One of the things that he does that I don't recall Marie Gold doing much of at all is almost sort of a throwback to several periods of classic Who where the background music wasn't so much orchestral or music, but a soundscape. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're going to dig into a bunch of the different type of stuff that Sagan does. Uh, but I think that provides something new and interesting to do with the show to bring it back. The other thing as well is that he's very good at creating very sort of minimal music. Like he goes between the grand orchestral type of music to really intimate pared down pieces that just work beautifully. So I'm going to show off a couple of my favorite tracks having listened to his SoundCloud. The first is Kingsyard from Black and British, A Forgotten History. And it's a grand, sweeping orchestral piece that really just brings in a, a lot of very interesting sounds to it. So that one um, is, I think, just a really interesting, fascinating piece. Um, it moves between a lot of different uh, soundscapes. There's people singing. Um, there's drums going on in the background. There's strings and grand orchestral swelling. So it, it sounds like this is something that would go very well as sort of a standout big moment piece for some climactic moment in the show of this is, you know, this is the doctor ready to go and destroy the villain, restore justice. Like it's maybe uh, hello Stonehenge, maybe, maybe a little bit uh, like that. So uh, I think it's it's one of the really distinctive pieces uh, from his repertoire. Uh, the other one that I was really fascinated by is Evil Night, and that's from his general selection of tracks. It wasn't for any particular show, um, but it's a really fascinating piece of music. Um, and it's not it, it sounds a little bit like synth classic who, you know, it's uh, a very hard sci fi kind of feel to it. It's discordant. It's uh interest it's odd it's a little bit challenging but it also feels like you could rescore any era of doctor who with this soundtrack So it's not just the sound for any villain, although that would work perfectly with, you know, any sort of cybermendalic thing. Um, it, it's a it's a soundscape. It's it's really providing a, a soundtrack moving through for something that would work very well in a in a sci fi universe. Yeah. Um, another track like that, uh, again, if you want to get some of those soundscape tracks, uh, most of them you'll find in his, the general category on his SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Uh Nebula um, is a similar track. It's got a sort of an ethereal, feels kind of imposing, sort of just a hint of HP Lovecraft around the edges kind of thing going on there. Um, both of those, I think, are going to be really fascinating that won't possibly leap right out at you on the soundtrack album but doctor who music is not designed for the sound soundtrack album it's designed to enhance the story and cuts like uh, evil knight and nebula just really assure me that he's going to do a hell of a lot of enhancing the story a couple of my favorite tracks First of all is DNA from The Human Body, Secrets of Your Life Revealed. And I listen to this 
and I think about one of my favorite episodes, Time Heist. This is like the nerdiest A-team building the device sort of a montage sequence kind of thing that I can imagine. I, I think of uh, caper, it's caper music. It's And the plucked guitars are just uh, delightful. Um, I hear that and I think Jodie Whittaker's up to something and it's mischievous. The other one that I want to pull out is Dalu from Black and British, A Forgotten History. It's momentous. It's dramatic. It's majestic. Love the strings. I love the percussion. Um, it feels modern, but it's using some classical instrumentation. Um, and that's another really important piece to making music for Doctor Who. It's being timeless, being able to play with history and science fiction at the same time. In summary, we're really, really excited for Sagan to come into the show. Uh, so welcome. And we look forward to seeing what you do with the Doctor Who theme tune. We can't see what he does. It's a, it's music. You know what, Chip? <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, so in the world of visual media, uh, you can't see it, but I have just been given sign language. Entertainment Weekly has revealed that there's yet another piece of comic bookery coming up to lead up to the launch of Series 11 and the upcoming Doctor Who comic with Jodie Hauser and Rachel Stott. So we already knew that there was going to be a miniseries called The Road to the 13th Doctor that starts this month with a 10th Doctor story and an 11th Doctor story and a 12th Doctor story and backing material from Hauser and Stott that in some way leads up to the 13th Doctor. There is also going to be Doctor Who, the 13th Doctor, Volume Zero, The Many Lives of Doctor Who, long title, in September. And that story is going to feature adventures from all of the past Doctors uh, presented with various creative teams that ties into the regeneration somehow. Yeah, it's the way they've presented it is that Jodie Whittaker's doctor is reliving some past adventures in her previous lives during or shortly after her regeneration. So maybe she's having flashbacks while she's falling out of the TARDIS. Who knows? <laughs> Could be. We start the flashbacks as soon as she's regenerating. And the last flashback is when she's falling out of the TARDIS. Yeah. Who knows? I admit to having a few mixed feelings about so much reliance in the Titan comics on past doctors leading up to Jodie Whittaker. I feel like I embrace Jodie Whittaker. I'm ready for Jodie Whittaker. I personally don't feel like I need a bridge to uh, her. I don't need to be told repeatedly that the 13th Doctor is the same Doctor as all the previous ones just because the 13th Doctor has changed gender. So mixed feelings because I appreciate that they're making the effort. I don't feel like the effort's all that necessary? Help me out, Alyssa. 
I'm actually not particularly bothered by it because the the way I see it is that they were just not going to release a 13th Doctor comic before Jodie Whittaker has her televised on-screen appearance. Like her first adventure needs to be the television adventure and then the comics can kick off. I think there's a couple of things going on here and I think it's largely due to fan excitement and marketing. I think part of it is Titan has discovered that there really is an audience for comic series featuring the classic doctors because they'd been very focused on like only modern series doctors and uh, once they were able to make classic series doctors comics um, there's a lot of possessives in there then they discovered hey people really really like this I think they want to capitalize on that I think that they want to show more of the classic doctors in their comic books but it's hard to do dedicated series for all of them simultaneously it's one of those things of it suits an anthology kind of feature really well to have one short adventure for each of the doctors all together rather than trying to get like multiple creative teams together to be creating a lot of different series all at the same time for all these very different doctors. So that part makes sense to me if they needed a sort of anthology format to be able to really make it work in the comic book market um, and not crowd out all the other amazing stuff that they're doing. Simultaneously, they need a hook for that. They need something to get people to want to be interested in reading this anthology series. And as soon as you call it an anthology series, a lot of people's eyes start glazing over. So I think what they needed to do was find a good hook. And the best hook available at the moment for anything related to Doctor Who is, have you heard Jodie Whittaker is the next Doctor? So they say this is another sort of road to the 13th Doctor thing. It's all leading up to her. We're going to have little clips of her that you've already seen in previous episodes so the BBC doesn't get mad at us. And it's all leading up to it. So I think it's actually pretty clever marketing technique of they get to have a lot of classic series doctors, including a lot that I don't think Titan has ever done a comic series for before. And it gets to build up excitement for their upcoming 13th Doctor comic. So people are drawn in. They're going to they're going to read it. Um, And frankly, it ties it into a big upcoming moment that marketers really, really love. So I'm not too mad about it. I think it's really clever. And I'm really going to enjoy the opportunity to see a lot of doctors that I haven't seen in the modern comic series represented in Titan Comics. Um, I'm also just, you know, really happy that we get more opportunities to see Jodie Hauser and Rachel Stott just like sneak into everything. They're just yes. like everywhere now. Yes. <laughs> I will take any comics by Jody and Rachel in any context by any means necessary. And finally, for our last bit of news, we have to talk about the big controversy that happened. A clip and several photos of Jodie Whittaker from the upcoming series of Doctor Who have been leaked. And Marcelo Carmargo. It's not actually Marcelo Carmargo's fault this time. It was probably not his fault before. His he was just the employee whose name was unfortunate name was on the draft. <laughs> yes, he's probably never living that down. Uh, we don't know who was responsible for the leak this time around. Um, 
I have seen the file name of the leak, and it makes me think that this was perhaps something that they were going to be showing either on uh, upcoming TV shows uh, as a little sneak preview or that they were going to be showing at Comic-Con because it seemed to indicate this was a final viewing version. And we are not going to discuss the content of the leak. We are not going to discuss the content of the leak. We are only talking about like the function of how this happens and how it impacts the fan community. This is a spoiler safe segment of the podcast move along. There is nothing to fear here. So let's talk about it for a little bit, because this resulted in the pretty standard round of controversy anytime any material leaks. Because I think there's there's either a spectrum or a taxonomy. Uh, I'm not sure which word we're going to use, but let's just roll with it. I think that there are four categories of fans when it comes to information about the show before the show comes on. There is I need to know everything fan. And they're the ones who troll the Doctor Who set reporter hashtags on Twitter. They will seek out uh, leaks and and all, all that other stuff. So I, I have to know everything fan. There is if it falls in my lap, I'm not going to turn away fan. There is. I don't want to know anything unless the BBC officially releases it, fan. And then finally, there is, oh my God, BBC, why are you releasing trailers for this, fan? A.K.A. I want to come in absolutely cold, fan. A.K.A. I guess I'm going to have to get off social media until the episode airs a month two months, three months from now, fan. So four four categories of fan. It's a spectrum, I think. It's a spectrum. And leaks are always difficult for any fan community to handle because there's a lot of people that feel a sort of kinship with the people who are making the show, whether it's they actually know some of them or they follow them enough on social media to understand the impact that something like this has on them. And to be clear, It's not great when material leaks early for these people. Uh, A lot of them work very hard to try to secure this material. It can get people in trouble. It also means that they're in a little bit of an uncomfortable position for a little while because everyone knows this material is out there, but they still can't talk about it because that puts their livelihood at risk. And the good people will know not to confront them about that in a public forum because it's not kind or polite uh, to try to put someone's livelihood at risk for your own entertainment. But it does mean that they can engage less with fandom as this stuff goes further along because there are always going to be those people who just keep pushing for them to talk about things that they absolutely cannot talk about. Right. It's also a little unfair. Well, it's a lot unfair to the creators because frequently leaked material is unfinished. Yeah. It's not polished. Uh, Sound mixes may be off. Uh, Special effects may uh, not be available. You know, it's it's not just being a control freak for control freakishness's sake. That was a very difficult uh, statement to make. (laughs) Um, It's wanting Doctor Who to succeed. And part of making the show succeed is being very intentional about when to release stuff. Yeah. So... 
the other complicated factor about this time around and, you know, really with a lot of fandoms moving forward is that there are a lot of bad actors in the space who take leaked material and present it as officially released material to trick people into sharing it and viewing it before it may be ready. Um, and really the downside of that is there's some people who fall into that you know, third category of I will watch any material released by the BBC, but I don't really want to watch anything not officially released. And then those people are tricked into watching and sharing something they may not have been ready to see yet. Um, and these people are really just trying to exploit fan enthusiasm to get reach and impressions on social media. That also puts a lot of people in an uncomfortable position of sharing stuff online and being, you know, excited and happy for it because they think it's official and having to backtrack severely later so that they don't get um, a lot of criticism for viewing and sharing leaked material because they didn't know it was leaked material, which I saw happen to a few people on Twitter that they had to be very abjectly apologetic because they had seen material from pages claiming it was official material. Um, and that put them in a very unfortunate position, which I really sympathize with. Like, you know, we if if you are upset about this, be upset with the leakers and not with people innocently sharing it because they didn't know because a lot of people are getting manipulated into thinking this is official material. Yeah. So fandom has responded to this leak in many and various different ways. Um, you know, the media, I think journalists sort of kind of have an obligation to cover that a leak has happened without necessarily exploiting it. You know, it's if it's out there, it's worthy of being talked about. Uh, we're, we're declining to talk about the content about it because we know that a lot of Doctor Who fans really don't want to be spoiled yeah. um, so early. So we're declining to do that. But I have sympathy for the, the outlets that are not trying to be clickbaity but are just reporting on the news of yeah. the leak. Especially because that is newsworthy material to talk about. Like, you know, we've seen with Game of Thrones, they've really had to step up security to try to protect the production of the show to the point of they have had to employ anti-drone technology because paparazzi are trying to use drones to get photos of shooting material before it releases. A lot of this leaked material happens because there are organized networks trying to break into secure systems to steal this material and release it early because there is actually some financial incentive for a lot of these places to get it early because then they can host it on their website and then they can get the sweet, sweet ad clicking money. And that's important to talk about. We need to talk about how these productions are protecting their material um, and really how fans can be you know, better actors yeah. in this situation. And that's that brings me to my last point about this, about fans being better actors. I think we all ought to be fairly patient with each other being on different parts of the spectrum of how we deal with spoilers, what we encounter on social media. If somebody is excited about having seen the leaked clip, as long as they're not spoiling the contents of the leaked clip i don't think it's a good idea to come down on them or call them awful people or something like that it's it's what you it's it's what you do to preserve the fandom experience for other people not putting things in front of them that they don't want to see as we get closer and closer to October, there is going to be a lot more information about Series 11 released, some of it official, some of it not, some of it leaked. 
And uh, we're all going to be at different places about how we want to prepare for the beginning of the season. And I just encourage everybody to be patient with each other and not to ruin each other's experience of the show. Be thoughtful. Think before you retweet, especially be careful before you click any links. My God, people, this is how spam and viruses get spread. (laughs) Don't click any links that you don't know where they're going to go. So be patient, be kind, be smart. Mm -hmm. You know, series 11 is going to come soon enough. And I have great confidence it's going to be freaking awesome and that Jodie Whittaker is going to be amazing and that is all I'm going to say about that so thank you for joining us on this week in time travel next week Alyssa is going to be off at an undisclosed location, being undisclosed and being unaudible. So we'll have a special guest. Peace out. I'm drinking for the whole week on a beach. <laughs> we'll have something special for you next time with a special guest. In the meantime, more episodes of our podcast are available at thisweekintimetravel.com. We are on Twitter at DR Who This Week. We're also on Facebook. I am on Twitter at numeral two minute time lord, and Alyssa is on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music, and thanks to David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and avatar. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, and consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network. Oh, also, tell all your friends about us. And at least half of us will be back next week on This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.